We're at the WXG conference, WXG7, mm-hmm. um, down in Guildford. Something we've made a trip uh, three, three years running now, I think. It's a great conference, and I think this, this year, everything, the, the theme was centred around using technology for good. So we're just going to go through and run through a few of the highlights from the, the speakers. So I'm a bit high, because last, the last speaker, he had lasers oh, on the screen. It was really exciting. So I've got to calm down. The first one was Dr. Tamer. He was talking about um, tech for helping people. So um, using... Mental health, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, he was working in a team that was um, a care team for people who may be depressed or possibly suicidal even. And, and they were working on a, um, basically a product. It, in this case, it was a mirror which can track people's movements, facial expressions which are known to be maybe signs that someone isn't very happy. Uh, and that mirror could then... Uh, feed that back to their team uh, certainly initially the plan is for them to monitor the kind of the results from uh, from all the, the the data they would get from the mirror uh, and the person uh, and but in future it's possible that technology and AI to kind of identify people maybe at risk of suicide essentially uh, or self-harm in some way um, through all the data they've collected through this project so um, it's a really interesting idea and to have a mirror that it's a bit like a one step on beyond a Fitbit really isn't it or, or I watch it's a lot of interesting questions doesn't it over data privacy uh, over where technology ends and mm. where human care should begin yeah because he started his talk really um looking at uh, talking about mental health and setting the scene and then saying a lot of companies uh, are incentivized by keeping um, people sick because that's where they make the money and what he was saying is we need to try and uh, prevent these things happening whether it's mental health or or something else in terms of preventing them rather than trying to fix the problem over and over again and and people paying whether it's the NHS or people paying privately for that. Um, It's sad that company is like, oh no, we don't want to fix this because then we can't get any income from all the, from all the medicine. Yeah, I know. That's so terrible. sad, isn't it? So sad. They've got the power to do it. Uh, it's just, it's just it con- kind of you makes you control. wonder what they're holding back on already. When we were talking earlier over lunch, you had some darker thoughts to this and how it could be used against people? Well, I think it's amazing. The idea of the Mimi Mirror is amazing. But with, with technology, there's always benefits. But if it... If, it, if that data is handed to the wrong people or it could be used in the wrong way or the machine malfunctions and it starts working against you. Technology does malfunction mm. and things do go wrong. And if that's, you know, if there aren't steps in place to monitor and safeguard individuals, especially vulnerable individuals with mental health issues, then it's who's allowed to be in charge of that machine and of that data. I don't know. That's what begs the question. Flip side, being positive thinking, <laughs> which is really unlikely. It's unusual for Al. Very unusual. Um, what if it saves some people? Yeah. That's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Definitely. Um, shall we move on? Go on, yeah. um, The next talk was from Stephen Woodgate. Uh, he was working with Microsoft, actually, in... Um, I'm not sure what division, but he was talking about accessibility. One, one thing that resounded with me, if, if, you, if you make something accessible for one person, one, uh, one aspect of it, like... Um, um, for example, captions on um, videos for people who can't hear it, they can read the captions on video. Well, that becomes useful for other people because someone may be in an office scenario who hasn't got the sound on, 
uh, who um, who benefits from seeing those captions. So they can actually use that video even though they're not disabled in, in that particular way. Yeah, I, it's always been a bit of a bugbear of mine. Because you do see that on Facebook, you see the video subtitles. I don't think they're there for accessibility. No. They're there so you can watch it on the bus, you know, in the office without being... Bother, you know, so you're not bothering anyone. For commercial reasons. Yeah. Yes, then, but yes, the massive advantage is that you know, if you can't hear, then you can read the words, and that's amazing. But it's a bit sad to think that that's not why they were. That's not why they've been put in there. But it's great that they're there, and that it's a normal thing now on videos when you see it sometimes. Excellent. So I suppose however we've got there, that's still a great thing. He was also demonstrating something which is part of Office 365, which uh, allowed him to give live captions as part of his presentations. Um, perfect, <laughs> is it? It wasn't perfect, and I think um, part of it was it wasn't actually mic'd up to him correctly, so it couldn't hear everything very well. But the interpretations of what was coming up above the presentation were hilarious. I was at one point, I, I, I couldn't look at the screen because I, I was laughing, and it's not because of what he was saying, it's because of the words above the screen. Uh, yeah. You might see some, I might put some overlays on this video so you can see what they were. Brilliant. Um, didn't even seem to know the word. Microsoft, and he would just come up with other words that sounded a bit like Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, that was quite funny. Yeah. Lots of rude, all the rude words. Lots yeah. of rude words in there as well. Incredible, yeah. Uh, did you have anything to add to that, Claire? I, to be honest, I was very distracted by the subtitles. <laughs> I was trying not to giggle loudly. <laughs> um, moving on, there was a um, uh, guy called... I, I've got down his Twitter handle here, just called Ginger Chris. Sorry, Chris, <laughs> that may be your name. Uh, he was from a company called Unmade, and their talk was on um, uh, SVG, or Structured Vector Graphics. Um, scalable. Scalable vector graphics, sorry. Um, and how that can save the world, essentially. And he said, I'll get there, I'll get there. I'll show you how they'll save the world. And, and he, he, he got there eventually a little <laughs> tiny bit. But essentially, they're a company who do on-demand knitting, printing of clothes. Yeah. Uh, or making clothes. of clothes, yeah. not just printing. Custom clothes, yeah. um, And he was talking about how the technology of scalable vector graphics can be used by people online, on the web, to construct their perfect um, cycle T-shirt in the example he used. They were talking about the challenges of how that worked, technological on the web, but how great it was that could compile that into um, an SVG, which they could use for printing um, directly in their machines. Yeah, and I think that's what I enjoyed most about that talk, was how he broke down the journey that they went through and how they overcame all of those different problems. Because um, that's not something that we necessarily hear about. No. We often hear about the polished end product. Yeah. It's, that's, that's quite good. He just took out this one problem uh, and sort of just said, well, we need, to, we need to make the SVGs so that people can design their own stuff and move it around and create the template file. Just how how that happened. And it's quite a micro little thing. There's a lot of work behind it. That, yeah, like you say, that was quite nice just to see the problems and the challenges and the, how they overcame those things. Yeah. And, and as promised, he did get to the bit about how it will save the world. Um, he said not, not just on bandwidth alone, uh, there's some uh, CO2 benefits of using SVGs over JPEGs, um, but he said that in the uh, clothing industry it was about 15% was left unsold, so they have to overproduce because of the manufacturing processes to make it worthwhile to do, but there's about 15% which is either um, just sort of discarded, wasted, or maybe unsold, yeah. stores sold cheaply. It's a bit like food, isn't it? Yeah. It's better, kind of make more than you need and it gets it's wasted. It's awful, it's awful yeah. to think about. And, uh, you, you, you might know that that happens or guess that, that happens, but you don't think about it because you don't see it and he was saying that um, it was about 40 billion dollars wasted I've got noted down here but while their technology costs more per piece to make on average it's no more expensive because there's no wastage whatsoever um, and it's just trying to convince um, clothing manufacturers that that's the way forward.
people love personalization, don't they, as well? And that's where things are going. To design your own, to design your own thing, you have much more pride in it. We saw that at Bath, Bath uh, Digital Festival as well, didn't we? That when you, when you help create something, you just have much more pride in it, and, uh, uh, so you actually pay a little bit more. But also, if it means there's no wastage, that's great. My only worry with that is the kind of like the shipping and stuff around small orders, uh, that kind of thing. So. Well, I think the, I think the benefit there was um, the technology can be put lo- more locally, so that's you could good, actually yeah. bring a lot of the production to a, um, a more local space nearer you. So the shipping is is much lower. Yeah. So you could you could bring stuff to the country that you're in yeah. or the town you're in. Who should we move on to next, Chris? Yeah, we had Chris Todd Hunter. Caption was creative for good. The thing about the thing that Chris was talking about was his journey through the business and how they have become green and environmentally friendly and how that's benefited them as a company and how they can go and benefit other companies. Yeah. yeah. Is that the main message? Yeah, that they're kind of, I think, like sustainability champions. So they're, although they, I think they're still doing their sort of web work. Yeah. They only take, they take on clients who are sort of in line with their kind of uh, ethical sort of outlook. And again, we talked about this a bit uh, at Bar Digital Festival, didn't we? We're sort of turning down work from companies that you don't really want to work with. Maybe they're, you know, they're, they don't find them ethical or sustainable and, and if you don't want to work for them, then, then don't, you know, have that pride in your, in your mission statement to not help them with their mission, so to speak. And he, they, they came at it... Um, they came at this uh, as, and using it as a solution to a problem where the agency was going to um, sink, really, because one of the partners left. So they, they needed to recreate themselves and redevelop themselves. Um, and so, obviously, this, this has to be something he'd want to do generally and want to push forward and, and, and do some right in the world. But he's found it's actually a commercial advantage as well, and that you can actually make, you can make profit out of this. It's, it's a way of um, differentiating yourself as well as a business if you're working with bigger corporates or charities, as they, they work with a lot of those. Um, so it, it, it does it, it does a good thing for the planet. It, they make makes them feel good, and hopefully they're always working towards being better. And they're, they're never going to plateau. Um, and I, I, I think it's it's certainly something that we should all really be aiming towards. I've, I've written I, I had written down a few notes about sort of things that we, we need to do as a company. Um, light bulbs. I do <laughs> have LED light, light bulbs in the office. It's actually different diff, different because we're, we're sort of distributed and we we work in different places or work with different freelancers. Um, they're able to have an office and can control that environment we're, we're not able to do that but maybe we can nurture and encourage and say that this is the right way forward yeah. do you want to join us in that um, carbon offsetting feels really rewarding as well so working out how much carbon you use you know for all of the services you might use and just offsetting that either literally tree planting or in projects that prevent trees being cut down or other um, like less CO2 being released into the atmosphere type of project if we leave this in it might be getting a bit louder in here because we're at the end of the conference there's a free bar so there's a lot of people coming out into the courtyard so we might have to wind it up if it gets too loud um, we've got a sort of perimeter yeah, at the moment. it's good actually having a camera gives you a lot of space so we might just do this if you need space at party stick a camera next to you um, so should we move on should we okay, move on yeah. to Alice and she was from the I don't know her surname sorry I can I can put all these in the notes afterwards uh, Alice Moore O'Farrell Farrell very good we'll get it right later um, she was from the WWF the World Wildlife Fund yeah. for me she was very much about the positives of digital technology and how it's benefiting them and reaching those different audiences whereas some of the other speakers were possibly a little bit more negative about I didn't know that Bear Grylls was, was, was uh, the chief, uh, one of the yeah. chief scouts. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's I, I have renewed respect for you, Bear Grylls. He's a committed Christian, and the scouts are a Christian organization, yeah, and he's the head of the scouts. Yeah. He's been a for a while now. 
He's the ultimate fire starter, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, so you want to move on to... Uh... Can I just say something? Yeah, sorry. No, just, no, just to say... <laughs> that, the, the WDF talk was just, oh, yeah, it was one of my favourite ones, I think, because it was that beat. It, it felt really global. The way that they presented it, they were very clear with their message, the way that they were communicating with their audiences were just was spot on. Yeah. So Daniel Harvey is where you want to move on to? So obviously with digital technology there's a lot of benefits, um, but it was quite very refreshing, I think, after lunch to listen to Daniel Harvey uh, when he talks about how the dystopia is already here. Yeah. Um, and he did warn us he was going to have a rant, <laughs> and he kind of let rip, and I, it was just, well it's a bit scary actually, because he touched a, a, a lot of things I wasn't overly aware of. Previously had a bit of a sort of down view of the future, uh, you know, with tech and stuff. But yeah, some things are kind of here already. You know, Facebook knows more about you than the government. Uh, you don't really, no one really knows how Facebook works, even at Facebook. Um, people, you know, it does affect people's lives. And there was a couple of stories in that one and the early one, you know, where tech can really damage people's lives, and it, again, it crosses over. Um, he was quite—he's quite vibrant and quite great, uh, enthusiastic. Speaker. Really, really good speaker. Very, very interesting. Very rude. Quite rude. Lots of f words. It doesn't sit on the fence about anything. No. Sometimes you just need to listen to people like that, even if you don't agree with them. He clearly knows his own mind and what he thinks, and that, that was really good. We've talked about this before on a previous podcast, but he brought up the Obama video deepfake, which we, we were talking about um, probably last year now, actually. Actually, the moment you put it next to the real person, you, you could definitely tell it wasn't real. But yeah. if you looked in isolation, just in a little YouTube video on Facebook, you wouldn't notice. Oh, yeah. You're not going to notice something. No. Soon, it's going to be so good. You won't know what's true and what isn't true. And so elections are won Facebook. I mean, they certainly were for, I think, the last US um, elections. And I think possibly, like, for the Brexit stuff, there's a lot of things online for convincing people to vote one way or the other. Um, and with fake information as well, I mean, there's already fake information going on, but with video fake information, I think as a species, we we trust what we see. Yes. And so that's quite scary that we've invented something that we don't know if it's real or not, and that's quite... Quite alarming, isn't it? A brilliant talk, and despite it being about dystopia, I think he was just trying to say that this is already happening, but we can still do things to protect, uh, prevent against or to stop it getting worse. Yeah, I mean, don't use Facebook. Uh, um, there's, a, there's that other thing which I, I, uh, I saw a few years ago called um, Time Well Spent, which is really a movement. He mentioned, he mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. movement is saying make it hard for yourself to go onto Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever your vice is. <laughs> Uh, make it hard for yourself. Just take a few minutes to take those icons, even off the first page of your phone. That will help. Just to make it difficult. It's almost like putting a lock on the cookie jar. So he came to the end and said, what can we do? This is all depressing. Time well spent movement, so look into that. Um, reduce notifications, which I do a lot. I, I turn off most, apart from phone calls or text messages. They're the most important things. Pretty much everything else is gone for me. Um, and do, Try and do something. Don't just think... Oh, what can I do? It's a small thing that I can do, and often I feel like that. But actually, there are lots of little things you can do, like just talking to other people. If you've got clients, bring it up into conversation, find out what they think about it, talk about it in podcasts like this. You know, just just bring it to your audience because quite 
by drip, drip, dripping that process, um, people will start thinking about it. I, I know um, you weren't there, but I went to WordCamp Bristol, and they just had vegetarian food. They didn't have uh, any meat food there. Most people didn't realise. A few did and complained and, and went somewhere else for a burger. But most people weren't, even if they did find out, weren't bothered. And I think that... That's just the drip, drip of what we can do. And it's, it's, it became a simplicity issue for them. Actually, why don't we just do vegetarian for everyone? And it, and it actually worked very well. So from a and that sort of brings us quite nicely into Anne Longley from the Princess Trust. Because she was, I think the key message that I took from her was the consumer um, has control. So rather than make a ripple, let's make a wave. So by not doing things or by demanding certain standards, the big guys, the big companies, sort of, uh, companies will have to react. Yeah, I think it's always the thing, you just think on your own you're not going to make a difference. But then you just look at ants, they're very small, and one ant alone doesn't make yeah. a difference. But a million ants, yeah. all doing this, the, right, the, the same thing, make a massive difference. And it's just, it's just our psyche of, of being able to work together, but collectively, but almost like silently, yeah. to, to change, not to buy stuff that's made of plastic. To, not just walk out if they only sell you uh, coffees and plastic cups just go to another place mm-hmm. and it's just those little changes those little act- changes your actions and then tell other people slowly and surely if everyone does it if nobody ever went to McDonald's McDonald's wouldn't be there that's the same of any business they would be forced to change they'd be yeah. forced to find something that does work with the money they have yeah, yeah absolutely I think they'd pick on McDonald's like what they were saying about the cups the coffee shop cups in Japan with Starbucks that's what I was yeah. Yeah, so do you want to explain what that was? Oh, so, um, who said that? Um, who was it? Was it, uh, next one? Was it Rebecca and Anne? It was either Anne or, um, oh, let me find, uh, Alice. I can't remember. Um, but they, they were talking about yeah. Starbucks um, made all of their disposable coffee cups or takeaway coffee cups out of um, um, compostable material. I don't know what the compostable material was because uh, the Japanese demanded it. And they were, they were saying, why, why is that something where they have a different approach in different countries? Why, why surely it's easier and cheaper not to have any um, management levels or processes or shipping different products to different places and just have one product which is sustainable or compostable that you can ship everywhere? Yeah. The thing is, just not you, thinking like but that. But as a consumer, how do you demand it? There's no forum from us, really, to sort of say, we all want this, other than not buying the other thing. Um, anything else? So that's all on my list. That's all I've got. Lasers. Apart from the lasers, yeah. Lasers at the end. Um, now, I didn't get his full name, but I'll make sure it's in the notes. But Seb- He calls himself Seb Lee. Seb Lee, yeah. Um, and I've seen his work before. We've definitely seen it at a conference before. Yeah. He's, a, he's a fun speaker. He's just very vibrant and just chatting about things. But, but um, what's nice is he's taking us through these, uh, these laser projects that he's worked on in the past, usually quite big laser projects playing Invader games, uh, Space Invader games on, on big white canvases. Um, but then took us through a few projects that he had made more recently um, on his uh, way he tried to program his own laser system um, so we could see how those games work. And he was showing us how this new project working with... Is it Fatboy Slim? Is that... Yeah. It is. I can't remember the actual guy's name. It's Fatboy Slim. Um, how he's working with him to make this sort of laser-controlled music show. And it's like... And what I love about it is it's... He's not just demonstrating the output. He's showing us how it works. He's talking us about the insiders, the, the coding and the, the, the insider part. And I love that. So I, I was quite excited um, after that. And that was, it was quite nice that he got us to play a game 
engaged with him as an audience. That was really cool. I've not done that before. I've never had the most fun playing Flappy Bird by, by, by Clapper. By noise from the audience. It's, really the, it's the most frustrating game, but <laughs> I think the audience collectively did better than I've ever done playing Flappy Bird. <laughs> Again, it's just fun, isn't it? It's just fun use of technology. And um, he's, he's a great crossover between our hardware and the, and the lasers and like buildings and like places and just the coding and software and there's a lot of coding that goes behind yeah. the scenes to make those things work which you don't see but like, you do a little bit of the stuff but um, he does all that so um, yeah amazing I, I think it was nice to end on that positive note that technology is fun and you can play with it yeah yeah definitely is fun um so that, that, that's the end of our sort of roundup. But while Al's here, you might have noticed him not appearing on the other podcast as, as you know, Al, Al left us, went to other pastures. But maybe Al, fill us in on just uh, in, in a few minutes. What have you been up to? Any, any interesting projects you can talk about? Yeah, so, well, I've, I've moved from um, Rather Inventive to working for a renewable energy startup called Pure Planet, based in Bath, near where I live. Um, and uh, yeah, they provide 100% renewable electricity and carbon offset gas. <laughs> As standard. Ka-ching. Yes. A lo- and a lot cheaper than you might be paying uh, for the, like, from the big six. So um, that's great because I really wanted to move somewhere with a purpose um, and to work in a house somewhere. Not that we'd never have a purpose. I was going to say, I, I, I held my tongue. I held my tongue. But I also wanted to work in a house somewhere. Um, uh, I really wanted to sort of get really knowledgeable in, in a certain industry and, and the energy industry is a lot to know so that, that's really uh, really exciting um, yeah you really jumped in because there's so many different things it's a whole, whole different industry it's a different company it's a startup. Yeah. it's working in house rather than in your own shed in your own um, lab you know, it's, it's quite different on every. It's like I, I just want everything. I also work. Win- I also work on Windows. <laughs> so oh, I, I actually used a Windows machine for ten years. I feel for you. I'm like, wow, stuff's on the opposite side. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Luckily, I didn't have to switch it on. Um, so I work primarily um, with the chatbot system, so an automatic, an automatic robot kind of chat system and self-service tool for um, our members. We heard a little bit about automation in the talk today, and obviously, automation is a thing. Uh, that's come up numerous times in numerous talks and people worried about robots taking their jobs. I did struggle with that for a little while, but then I read an article about um, call centre staff and their mental health from taking abuse, from answering the same questions over and over and over again. Um, And the the robot that I I help make um, does all those things, so it it takes out that repetitive answering. You don't actually have a call centre which is, I think, yeah, we're the only energy company that doesn't have a call centre. Because we, we are primarily, uh, our primary um, method of communication is through, uh, through chat. And that's how our members want to communicate with us. They're on the go, they don't want to be on the phone for no, an hour no. or two, not get their answers, uh, questions answered. So, um, in some ways, robots, I think, can, are a good thing and can help with mental health in that respect. Well, and I think a lot, generally, uh, how can technology work for good is, is something very relevant to chatbots. Because, again, they, they can be frustrating. Certainly bad phone systems can be frustrating. Bad chatbots can be frustrating. Anything that can um, understand the problems and limitations of those and maybe overcome them with some fun or, or, or just bring some humanity into it and make it, make it more useful, I think it's beneficial. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you again t- today, Al. Thank Thanks you very much for well, Claire. It's been great. And, um, yeah, thanks very much. Hope you found that interesting. I bet it was being recorded the whole time. Uh, yeah, so do I. The, the mic was on. That's why I was checking earlier. It was, was it? from there. Um, 
Um, so the start, the start. I hate the start. I hate the start. Right, so I'm going to start. So um, we're at the W. Hello, and thanks for listening. You can find more interviews just like this one with fascinating people and covering subjects such as blockchain, marketing automation, SEO, and scaling your business by visiting our website, ratherinventive.com slash podcast. But to get the latest episodes the moment they are available, you should subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or on YouTube. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter, or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com.